before we do, can I add one more, just one more point on the Bruno Mars thing? Is that cool? We've got time? Yes. But it'll be, this will be the last point. <laughs> Hold up, my <laughs> It's a new format. It's a new day. Go ahead, Jay, because I, I have a point to make after you, Jay. <laughs> just, <laughs> that he just came up with. <laughs> you, need, you need sign off before you do it, right? You need sign off. I've got sign off, all right? Don't assume that you're good. <laughs> Welcome to the B-Side, the music snobs. This is the Music Snobs Podcast. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and I am joined by my supreme team, Isaac and Jahan. We're excited about 2019. This is a brand new season for us. We've got a new format. We're going to do eight shows throughout the year. And um, Anderson Pack is everywhere. Uh, his new album, Oxnard, features Tense, a duet with Kendrick Lamar that was performed um, very recently to an enthusiastic Saturday Night Live audience. You know, but even though he is mentored by Dr. Dre, and he's, by the way, also a darling at Apple Music, Anderson Pack has continuously worked with a who's who of underground production. Uh, so we've decided to examine this mainstream star who shines so brightly underground. You know, I've never seen Anderson uh, live, but I did first encounter um, seeing him perform during NPR's Tiny Desk, which he did, I think he did it in 2016 after the Malibu release. And he was with his band, the Free Nationals. And the cool thing about Tiny Desk is they record in NPR offices, not a studio, but in the offices uh, at a tiny desk. Just to see how, him. Ti- how, how tiny is the desk? It's supremely tiny. Yeah, it's tiny. I mean, are we talking like, you know, Tom and Jerry tiny or is it what, what, what how tiny is this desk? Workstation tiny. I mean, like cubicle tiny. So how did it get in this office? Well, it's like um, imagine it's an office. I'm just space. fucking with you, man. I'm, I'm Seinfeld. I'm Seinfelding you, man. I'm just Seinfelding. You know what? <laughs> let me let me jump in here and say that I saw him live after the release of Malibu and his concert was one of the highest energy concerts that I've been to Uh for a long, long time. And I mean, I know he raps and sings, but if you separate R&B, modern R&B into a couple of different categories, the sort of alternative, less obviously commercial R&B, it often tends to be a little bit lower key, um, a little bit more mellow. He went in the other direction live, man. I mean, and, you know, his his recorded music is very much like this, too. But it was a party from start to finish. You know, it was definitely a choreographed show and very well put together and planned and rehearsed. Mm -hmm. It wasn't off the cuff, but there was a kind of freedom to the show that you don't see so much. And I, I feel like everybody enjoyed themselves 10 out of 10. But I want to say the person who enjoyed themselves the most at the show was him. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because he was, you yeah. know, he was jumping on speakers, but he was bouncing off the walls. And, and you know, there was always infectious. a smile on his face. Always Absolutely. a smile on his face. It was, it was fun, put it that way. It was a lot of fun. And the Free Nationals is his band, we should, we should mention. And yes. They're, they're doing their own thing at the moment, too. So here's the question. And... Apologies in advance to Anderson because I know part of the uh, 
the ideology behind free nationals is that there is no categoriz- categorization but it seems to me that he's been put into a um more of a hip-hop lane and a rapper who also sings my question is why is he not a singer who just happens to rap why isn't he that's a, a good question because i see him in the latter category mm-hmm. but i'm saying you see what i'm saying the more the the media is you know he's been put in that hip-hop lane more than anything else yeah. or am i wrong about that no no i think i think you might be right um but i wonder who is putting him in that lane like how informed are they on this type of music right as as a whole um i i, I don't know but to me his certainly the particularly with um maybe not so much with venice but particularly with um no worries uh, well well maybe maybe even less with that maybe less with that as well you know i could imagine a i could imagine an mc over those beats very very easily maybe malibu you know it lends itself more to a singer that you know the style of music and the beats than than an mc but he's got this he's got this vibe and He's got an amazing feel on the mic and for vocals, like, um, you know, rhythmic feel. He really, he's, he flows all over it, whether he's singing or, or rhyming. And he, he seems to have worked out this almost like a sweet spot between mm-hmm. the two delivery methods that um, he, he owns. So even when he's, even when he's rhyming, he's not too far away from, I don't mean to say that he doesn't have a great voice or he's not a good singer. He is, but... I I almost feel like when he's rhyming, he's not too far away from when he's singing, and vice versa. Right. It kind of it kind of dips. It kind of like goes back and forth over that line within the same verse. Yeah. And and, I, and you know, you know I, and I, I I love that. But to and me, it's, he's, it's intentional. I mean, he's not. I don't think he's making it up as he goes along. I think it's it's you know he knows what he's doing. He's very good at it. I, I actually think I actually think the opposite though. No, I, I agree with you. I think he's 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 very good at it. But I don't think he starts a verse saying, okay, I'm going to rap this part and I'm going to sing this part. I think it just happens. And to me, he's more of a, a the influence. And again, I, I hate to keep categorizing this brother because he doesn't like it. But mm-hmm. the influence on him, yeah, there's the hip hop. But it's more, it's not even R&B to me. It's soul gospel influence. Yeah. Brothers, yeah, Keeper, Brothers Keeper on a, a Oxnard. That's a gospel song. You know what I'm saying? To the point where the last, I think the last um, minute, maybe two minutes, it almost sounds like in the black church, how it gets to that point where um, the music ramps up, it ramps up, it ramps up, then catch the Holy Ghost. You know what I'm saying? And it just goes crazy. <laughs> that Brothers Keeper, the last, I think it's after Pusha T's rhyme, those, those last two minutes, it's like, it's the Holy Ghost time. You know, it's it's structured almost for that. And yeah, his, his music sounds to me more soulful, more gospel. And yeah, then there's R&B elements, there's hip hop elements. I wonder sometimes if, because Jahan, you asked a good question. You said you wonder who's saying that, you know, who's putting him in that hip hop lane. And I I wonder sometimes if the people who do that um, in the media specifically are doing it mainly because of who he's associated with. You know, it's like, okay, he's with this crew. He's been mentored by this person. Um, These people are producing him and they produced this in the past. So it's like, okay, he's in the hip hop lane. But if you listen to the music, yeah, Mad Lib, High Tech, you know, um, who else was who else is a producer on Malibu? Schoolboy Q, I think. Um, no, no, Schoolboy Q's a MC, but um, Chris Dave, um, Pomo, I think did something. He's got like he's got house producers on there. He's got quote unquote jazz producers on there. He's got you know you know he's Ninth Wonder, but Ninth Wonder did kind of you know a sort of R and B type beat on there. You know he flipped the uh, Hiatus Coyote sample, so. 
it's really you know how I feel about it is just music it's not a particular genre and a talented MC guitarist singer whatever could flow equally well over those things and he seems like especially especially with Malibu and and you know maybe Oxnard too he seems to have a great ear for what can be cohesive with uh, the other material on the album and, um, and 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 something that anyone could really get on but I think to the point about categorization it's important to note that Dr. Dre is kind of late to the party because he uh, signed him I think shortly shortly after Malibu dropped so um, No Worries, Malibu, Venice they were all dropped independently I think No Worries with Stone's Throw and Venice yeah. and Malibu he dropped himself so it's only his appearance on Compton uh, Dre's last album and this album that's where he's been you know associating working with but that, Dre, that but before but, that he's but take three that, albums he's been completely on his own take that to what Arthur said though about him being um, mainstream but still being underground that mainstream that jump off that started with with uh, Compton right that was in that was in 2014 mm-hmm. right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so he gets there and that's the mainstream jump off and now he's you know the awareness of him you know every everything Arthur mentioned that doesn't happen without Compton right I don't know either I don't know I, I don't know because I mean the show I went to like it was a lot of people there it wasn't a small it wasn't at the jazz cafe it was at the forum so for the American listeners you know that's a few thousand people it was a wide range of people there so I don't know I don't know I mean you know he's not he's not Bruno Mars but he's well he could be well that yeah good question um, I had mentioned this NPR show when he was calling out for you know requests and the request was Suede and um, Suede appears on the No Worries Project, a duo between Anderson Pack and the producer Knowledge, who um, produced Mama from To Pimp a Butterfly. Don't be fucking with my tape, Dad. You gonna listen to this Marvin? You gonna listen to this Bloodstone? Oh, y'all niggas with that bare white. Well, I don't really fuck with that right there. I can make a nigga act up right there. But go and get your rocks off, boo. No, 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 I don't really do all that, but it's more for you. Come on! I'm far from a pimp, but I'm close to you. You fucking with an old soul twice removed. My pops used to work up on the fighter jets. Maybe that's the reason I'll be through. And it's a really ironic album in the sense that this is knowledge is a, you know, quote unquote hip hop producer. But it's 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 more like kind of a you know a Bobby Womack feel project because you've got these two you know MC singer producer who aren't necessarily from the same place. I mean, Knowledge is originally from New York, but lives in L.A. But you know they're from the same space, so they kind of get where each other is coming from. And it was a, it was you know it was really if it's a one-off project that's fine, but it was like the best project that I've heard like that since. Ninth Wonder and uh, David Banner got together for Death of a Pop Star. And that's an album that I really love. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. And I think, firstly, duo, duo albums where you have a beat maker or a mm-hmm. producer and an artist, or, you know, just one music producer or one team of musicians making music for one artist, there will always be a cohesion and a direction that is perhaps harder to achieve when you have a, um, a collection of musicians working with an artist so everything will always be quite well tied together in that scenario but I think Bobby Womack that's an interesting point because yeah man I mean 
Knowledge is a soulful, he just makes soulful music to me, whether it's, even though it samples, it's just, his choices are so soulful and the way he knots it all together. And likewise for Anderson Pack, there's like a, a grit and a rawness and a pain to his voice, um, similar to how Bobby Womack had. And uh, he's extremely expressive. Just the sound and timbre of his voice is extremely expressive. So, yeah, knowledge and Anderson together was a match made in, in heaven. Um, and, and definitely I can see where you're coming from with the Bobby Womack analogy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Anderson's got some, he's got some pain in his past. Um, I read in, in an interview, he said this in, he's referred to this in a, in a few interviews, um, that his, he and his younger sister, when they were children, had witnessed their father viciously beating their mother. And uh, the father was sent to jail for many years behind that. And uh, Anderson has said that he doesn't uh, remember him that much so much to say that after that incident the next time they saw him was when they were burying him um Hmm. even he doesn't refer to that so much as he refers to that circumstance and uh some other turbulent times with uh you know with his mom um on there's that one tune uh, mama can you carry me yeah 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 which is super soulful and, and, and definitely yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great song, but I feel like, you know, ironically, his music is quite euphoric and joyful. T- testimony maybe to his live performance, but... Let me ask you, uh, Malibu came, what, mid, early early to mid 2017, right? No, no, it's January 2016. Okay. No Worries comes, at, or Yes Lord comes after that, right? That's right. That's right. So he achieves that that, you know... Not you know, huge mainstream success. And Venice, gets, and Venice was before Malibu, but he achieves a, a high level of mainstream success with Malibu. Got Grammy nominated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what what do you think made him? Because not to say that uh, Yes Lord is a step back, but it is a more uh, you know, it's not so much accessible uh, on the mainstream level as Malibu is. Mm-hmm. What do you think made him? Because it came, it, you know, it came pretty quickly after after Malibu it wasn't years it was was, I think it was within the same calendar year right Mm -hmm. what do you think made him go back and do that you know to do that is is that was that him saying okay I'm not going to step into that you know pop you know mainstream lane I'm going to keep my roots and stay here or was it just or or was it just again the free nationals thing he's just going to do what he's going to do and you know fuck all this you know categorization and all this you know trying to plot this stuff out I'm going to do what I feel well, I mean, he, these things can, these projects can kind of happen organically. I mean, who's to say that he and Knowledge hadn't planned the No Worries project, but the response to Malibu, the interest in Anderson as an artist, he just, you know, elevated the No Worries project that much more. Mm-hmm. That even though No Worries is what it is, it's more of an underground project, you know what I mean? It's, it, and this is conjecture, obviously, but I'm saying, you know, for Anderson, these things are happening in tandem. But for us, the consumer, they're happening linearly. And so it seems like he's, oh, he's trying to, you know, go get real again and not let Malibu, you know, blow his head up so much. Right, but I'm saying, yeah, but every artist is aware of release dates. So I think you're both right. Before Yes Lord dropped as a however many track album, it dropped as a five track EP. It was still after Malibu, mm-hmm. but that one track swayed. It started, it got a hell of a lot of attention. Yeah, 
And I remember Snoop, for example, um, putting up on his Instagram the track and, and asking, who did this track? Who, who is this track by? It's pure speculation, but it may be that it grew into an album based on the reception that Suede got on its own as a track or... Mm, or mm-hmm. um, like build a project around that? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think, but where I think you're both right is, and this is, you know, as I love about the guy, he doesn't strike me as somebody who is super managed in his planning or um, super calculated about it. I think it's just what feels good to him at the time. And, you know, Knowledge is a kick-ass producer and he hadn't done a project like this before with, you know, one vocalist on all the tracks. It probably just fit real good. And, and you know, he had just got done with Malibu. He, prob- he may have exercised a greater, again, it's pure speculation, but perhaps he had exercised a greater degree of control and focus around choosing the beats for Malibu and he was doing likewise for Oxnard, etc. And maybe it felt good to just say, you know what, knowledge, you know what you're doing. Hit me. Give me what you got and I'll get on it. I think though, John, you mentioned how joyful um, his music is and how that contrasts what we've been hearing over the last, I don't know, shit, eight years, ten years has it been maybe? Is this, is this, you know, are we finally going to get out of Because, I mean, I, for one, I'm going to be honest, I'm tired of the, the emo angst-driven thing only because, mm. not because I never want to hear that again, but because you know that's all there is and it's like that it's you when you so when you're sowing your feelings from you know point a to point b to the point where it gets to be like you're not you're not even accepting responsibility for your own actions that's what a lot of this music sounds like to me it sounds like excuse music so are we getting away from excuse music and are we going to (laughs) excuse music i like that i mean i never heard that before and (laughs) and i think that excuse music is very popular for obvious reasons because who doesn't want to have you know an excuse for everything a lot of these artists you know with this you know because listen art is about feelings and all the artists that we love um from before we were here to when we were growing up to now um talk about feelings and get in their feelings and that's cool but to this point i felt like we've gotten to a place where it's you're sowing your feelings damn you know what i'm saying it's like can we do <laughs> right you know are you able to get out of bed in the morning you know what's going on how did you even record this song so or, or or how about this how about this i know you're not saying and i know you would never say you don't want an artist to express themselves you don't want them to express their emotions you don't want them to be in their feelings because i know you especially believe that yeah i believe they should do that yeah so i know you're not saying that but how about this express a variety of feelings in your music express feelings that maybe some artists aren't expressing. I think if we're, if we're saying the same thing, what we're saying is we just want some variety. Yeah, I want and some dyna- some, some, something that's dynamic. You know, something that, because, I mean, if you listen, listen, Oxnard, I love Oxnard. I love Malibu more. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a better album. But that said, I love Oxnard. And I think that with both of these albums, it's just such a dynamic range of those feelings. And it's the 360 degree view of you know a human being rather than that one kind of monotone monotonous type drone droning you know feeling and i feel that um and not to call any of these artists out or to pick on them because i enjoy their music Mm -hmm. as well but uh some of frank ocean's music of late to me is in that same zone and it sounds the same and i think but everybody's everybody's is and i and i think almost everybody's is and I think it's got less to do with, I wonder if it's got less to do with 
this is how everybody is genuinely feeling right now and more to do with it's a thing like i i wonder if it's an affectation for right a, a substantial amount of artists who are doing it uh, it just in the same way that again i'm not calling anybody out but it's kind of the same way that after certain famous female singers you now have so many other female singers almost imitating their vocal tone or um, their timber it's to the point now where so many people sound the same not just and you know so specifically their riffs their style lyrics um, and well yeah but before you even get to the lyrics it, you can hear this almost this physical affectation mm. that a lot of people are putting on then when you bring in the lyrics and the whole sort of vibe and the kind of down tempo i think a lot of people have seen that and said right well you know that's that's the model mm. and you know let me now show myself let me now show that i have depression let me now show that i have anxiety and right mm-hmm. and i think that's that's the lack of understanding of what emotions are what the complexity of emotions that an artist puts on a puts on an album or puts in a book or puts um on a wall or you know on a canvas there's that that complexity that it's like okay yeah on instagram um there's that complexity that to me anderson really really brings to life and like i said on all his stuff but specifically i'm talking about Mm -hmm. malibu where he can go from you know it almost wants to a song will almost make you want to cry to make you laugh you know sometimes within the same song Mm -hmm. um and that to me there's a genuineness there there's a there's a reality there because that's real life you know it's like nobody's walking around well i shouldn't say nobody but most people even people who are sad jay you made the point a long time ago i forgot what show was on that mm-hmm. even at, at a funeral people crack jokes you know it's like there's right, that right. that human condition that when it gets put on and you know when it gets encapsulated in art it touches you and it connects with you and i feel that even on some of the songs on Anderson's album where I really didn't know exactly what he was saying or I didn't quite get the point he was making, I still could feel that connection because there's a mm-hmm. reality with him. Um, there's a realness there that I that I really like, I really dig. Um, and there's, you know, even, it's funny, the song, uh, I think it's on Oxnard, um, where he reminded me, I think it's, was it, it's, it's Head Low, Head Low on Oxnard. Beautiful song, song, beautiful song. And it almost, you know, it, it reminded me of the point because at the end, you know, it's the the fellatio skit at the end, um, which, by the way, only part I don't like. All only artists, part I don't like. if you are listening, if you're going to do skits, stop look, skits. Look, no, no, no. I'm not saying <laughs> stop skits because you know we're here. Listen, stri- real talk. From our generation, we have no um, business judging anybody's skits because if you go back and listen to the skits from. <laughs> 80s, 90s, it was some of the most profane, pornographic shit you've ever heard. You know what I'm saying? So I can't, I would never judge, you know, the fellatio skit. But (laughs) but listen, all artists, if you could make your skit separate tracks, that would be great. Because that would help these a lot. Yeah, that would be helpful. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) point being, he adds humor sometimes, um, Anderson does, to his, his slow jams in a way that I haven't heard anybody do since The Door, you know, when Prince threw the joke in there in the middle of the song. And I, lo- I love that. And it shows that this, is, this, is, this cat is real about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Back to Arthur's original point about the underground. Even the slow jams, he, he gets cast to produce them, like Chris Dave um, on Malibu and then on Oxnard. My favorite track on Oxnard, Smile. Is produced by Kiefer Shackelford, a dope pianist and keyboard player on Stone's Throw. He's got two albums of his own, Happy Sad, Kicking It Alone. 
again expanding also on the expression and the variety of expression point there's a variety musically in his stuff you know like he's got heavy beats on there and he's got some mellow stuff on there and he doesn't run away from instruments it's it's beautiful to me He runs the gambit, but he also, um, to uh, uh, Flylo's point in that article, the interview from I think it was a couple mm-hmm. years ago, he runs the gambit, but he keeps you in a world. You know, it's like you're in his world mm-hmm. for that for that time period. You're not anyplace else. Um, but within that world, there's different cities. There's different places to go. It's just a different feel. There's different seasons. You know, you have different weather. It's just all this stuff going on. And I'm like, okay, he's doing something that really nobody else is doing right now i wonder if kanye hates this cat because this is this is you know no disrespect to 808s because i think 808s to me was was that album again that kind of ran the gambit as far as like emotions and kind of went different places and did you know what a lot of people can't do um but his you know uh anderson's singing voice i know kanye would love to be able to sing like this because he wants to express himself in that way um so it's just it's really interesting to see a cat who the multi i think i hate that word multi-talented but because it sounds really generic but to be able to sing and to be able to flow the way he does not even counting his instrumentation his ability as a musician um this is something extremely unique and i think that's what dre saw and jumped on real quick whenever he you know late or not late um he saw that and was like oh shit i need to this is this is somebody i need on my team yeah he's got he's got a lot of personality and that is that's that star factor right Mm mm-hmm Anderson opened for Bruno Mars on his 24 Karat World Tour, or 24 Karat Magic World Tour, uh, in the spring of 2017, and he did all the European dates. That's a good look, man. That's a good look for Anderson. That's a great look. Yeah, that's a great look. Great exposure for Anderson. And I thought that was a really good pairing, because I do see them as... Uh, I'm confused though. You said they're a good pairing. I just I'm not a Bruno Mars aficionado, so I don't know. But no, neither am I. But I'm just saying it's a good look commercially for him. Like to, no, no, no. That again, I'm just saying. To... I'm saying musically, they're a good. That just he just I, I guess he just feels light years beyond Bruno to me. Oh, he probably does. But I'm saying the vibe. The vibe is congruent. You know, Bruno makes happy music. He makes pretty good ballads himself. Um, he's got an energetic show. With with uh, with his band, Anderson has a like energetic show that Jahan described firsthand with the Free Nationals. You know, it's some some real congruency there. Can can Anderson occupy that same Bruno Mars type space, where where it's Anderson's music that's also on the you know, no, you know, he hot so and so station. No, or, he, no you know, he's he's too talented, bro. He's too he's too soulful. I can I can see him. Well, they're both the Grammys like them both. 
recording. I can see him. I don't have a horse in the race. Listen, listen, listen. I can see. I can see Anderson having a um number one song that tops the charts and just you know millions of people who have never even heard of him suddenly love him. Similar to what. Like with R. Kelly with the, uh, what was that? The I Believe I Can Fly joint. You know what I'm saying? Not to say Anderson would do something like that, but I'm saying that type of exposure where it's like, okay, here's this great song, you know, this very commercially accept- accessible song, and then everybody becomes aware of him. I can see Anderson having a song like that, but to mm-hmm. me, he's too soulful, too too much of an artist to stay in that pop lane the way Bruno Mars does. And again, I'm not a Bruno Mars aficionado. I apologize for offending anyone who has got a Bruno Mars poster on their wall right now as they listen to this. But I feel that Bruno is definitely um, 100% committed to pop, you know, and to being on the, well, shit, nobody's on the radio anymore. Nobody listens to the radio anymore, but being on the radio, so to speak. To, and I can't, I can't see Anderson ever being like that. I, mean, I don't know if you guys disagree. Let me ask you a question, Isaac. So Dr. Dre has signed Anderson Pack, and the new album's come out on Aftermath, right? Two other ex-signees of Dr. Dre, Snoop and Eminem, based on their first album or first two albums, did you think that they would have the commercial trajectory that they did have eventually? Like, uh, could you ever see? Could you ever see Eminem doing stuff like ass like that, or whatever other stuff that maybe he's done that you know we wouldn't listen to necessarily when he was doing Guilty Conscience? Is could that, you ever see Snoop doing Sensual Seduction when he was doing stuff like Deep Cover One Eight Seven? No, no, and that's and mainly that's because um, I already considered them. In the early 90s and i don't know with uh with m i guess in the mid to late 90s already considered them mainstream pop successes so i didn't see them going into you know whatever i don't ask i've never heard of that song so i'm assuming that's something that m has done recently i a number of years ago but it was it was horrific so but it was post his it was <laughs> after his peak right perhaps peaks without the credibility but because i think still, the, the difference know? though is that these are the those are the types of songs that artists do after that 10-year peak that they have and so they're trying they're trying to stay relevant what i'm saying is mm-hmm. that i can't see anderson in his within his relevancy chasing the pop you know stardom the All way right. that bruno mars chases it and that's again that's no disrespect to bruno that's that's his thing I mean, he can't do what anderson does you know what i'm saying that's not his lane he's in another lane i don't think that anderson should be in that lane you know, chasing that pop stardom and being, you know, because everybody knows Bruno Mars, man. Soccer moms know Bruno Mars. I don't think nobody, they're not going to be on Anderson like that. I mean, am I wrong? If, what, if I'm wrong, I'm but wrong. What about, I'm but wrong. what about, let's say Anderson Pack's demographic right now is made up of a healthy smattering of millennials and Generation Xs, right? I mean, the, the guy was on Ellen and See, I didn't know that. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't know that. He was on Ellen for Malibu. And he performed and he brought his son out and his, he had his son dance while he danced. And Ellen danced and, you know, mm-hmm. I'm imagining the front row of Ellen's audience danced and there was a whole thing about it. Um, I can only imagine that he will do that same talk show circuit. And they all thought that he was Pharrell. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> 
but I mean, I keep, I keep going, I keep going back to the, to the, uh, to the NPR tiny desk, though. I mean, we're dealing with multi, multi-racial group of millennials, both men and women, and the, and, and the one song that they called out for a request was Swayed, hmm. uh, an out, out, outright underground buzz track. So hell, if he's lucky, by the time they become soccer moms, as you said, Isaac. Judging by the trajectory of Snoop and Eminem, etc., other artists like you, you know, your ten-year theory, by the time he gets to that point, this will be his crowd still, right? They'll still be there, and they'll still have been used to him. So maybe they, you know, hopefully he won't have to change at all. Yeah, and I think he's also—it's interesting. He's at a really interesting age. He's 32 years old. Um, yeah, and that's big man, right? And that's that's—he's a man, you know. So he's not—he's not 19. He's not 20. You know, he's a he's a man. It's like he's lived, man, yeah. um, been married twice, got a kid. You know, it's like he's he's he has a level of experience. He's bringing something that um, other artists who are in his lane right now um, in his in this period of, in their in their period of relevancy. Um, they aren't bringing that. And I think that that age and that that viewpoint, I think, exposes him to your point, um, Jahan, to a much wider audience um, than some of his contemporaries. But also, I think the underground, you know, it's interesting because the underground is not what it used to be. Um, if the underground was actually a physical place, you know, 20 years ago, it was a lot darker than it is now. And I think what's lighting it up now is is, is social media. You can be underground, but still be mainstream now because um, people are hearing about you on social media. You're not on the cover of Rolling Stone, but anybody on Twitter with um, who follows certain people, they know about you. Um, so I, I think that to your like Arthur, you like you point out everybody calling out Suede. Um, mm. He was still underground, but that was a popular song, an underground song. And to me, right. it just it bubbled up, you know. And that's 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 an interesting thing. I think what's happened now with technology, its effect on what we consider underground. But you know what the the Bruno Mars point I think is a very good one because Isaac, do you think if he just had a couple more big commercial hits he could occupy that space or do you think if he drew down on the musicality he could occupy that space or what what do you think he would need to do to get to that level um assuming he wanted to get to that level i think assuming he wanted to sure because and this is again i, I don't want to be the the bruno mars basher but to me bruno mars is not just about his music he's a what's a good word for this arthur so i don't say the word that's just popped accessible in my mind. Um, accessible, but he's bubblegum. He's, he's bubblegum. He's commercial. He's he's on the shelf at Target. You know, he's just he's that dude. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like he's mm-hmm. un, he's unoffensive. He's this. He's that. I don't see unless Anderson completely changes. You know, his um, not completely, but he, unless he does a lot of drastic things to his brand, so to speak, for lack of a better term, um, his persona. I don't see him. And that's, you know, again, I'm not trying to say Anderson is, you know, Biggie or, you know, uh, right, uh, right, Ghostface right, right. Killer or something. You know, I'm just saying he's he's not he's not in that same pop, you know, um, bubblegum yeah. place that Bruno is. So I could see him getting, a, you know, having a couple more, um, having some tracks that really get him a lot of attention in that mainstream field. And I'd be happy to hear that, um, to see that happen. But, but you- you you believe that he won't lose his link to the underground? No, nah, I don't think so. He's and that's that's why that's the question I want to ask you because he's a 
his link to the underground is not just his viewpoint. I think it's his musicianship. You know, he's a that's right. He's a musician. You know, and that's well, and 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 I think maybe even more importantly, the musicians that he chooses to right, work he, with. Right, he works with other musicians, and it's not. I've heard you guys say, you know, they gave him a beat. I know that's that is what it is, but to me, that's almost at this point. Uh, that doesn't feel right to me to say they gave him a beat. Yeah, I agree with you. I they with you. they produced music with him. They created mm-hmm. music with him. Mm-hmm. And to me, that that separates him. And that's why he's going to maintain that link because he's a musician. And I wonder, Jay, I want to get your thought on this. And you too, Arthur. Mm-hmm. We, all, we always ask this question, but I got to ask, okay, this level of musicianship that we're seeing from him on these albums, is this going to have a wider effect? Are we going to see young kids wanting to become musicians? Or, you know, is just somebody going to hear this and be like, okay, I can't just get that pressing buttons on this machine. I may actually have to pick up an instrument. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I've kind of resigned myself to think that there's not going to be any kind of renaissance like that. You know, I think it's useful. I think it's um, I think it's I think it's good to see to say that real instruments are important in the creative process. Um, you know, going to the Saturday Night Live performance of, uh, of Tense with Kendrick Lamar, you know, I think it's good to see Anderson's drums front and center, and they were literally were front and center. I think it's good to see him play and sing. Um, and I also think it's good to see, um, and for the upteenth time referring back to the NPR Tiny Desk, to see how the music is arranged differently than what you hear on the record. But I think it's going to do what it's going to do. Arthur's right in the way that if um, To Pimp a Butterfly, for example, didn't move the needle. If, yeah. If seeing other musicians doesn't encourage people to pick up an instrument. And there are other musicians out there. And, you know, we're talking about the musicality of this album, but there are infinitely more musical albums out there by, you know, other artists where instruments mm-hmm. just aren't featured in the context of a beat but they are actually being played through the entire mm-hmm. song you know um they you know there are solos there are complicated arrangements etc and if maybe this is giving this is giving it to people in a more digestible form and maybe that'll have maybe that'll have more access uh, that's and that's luck. yeah I, I think though what you said a minute ago about it being digestible is important because here, here's what i think i think that there's a certain crowd of millennials who are listening to Anderson Pac, and he's he's a little bit threatening to them. They don't know what to do with this cat because they're like they want to put him in that neo soul place that they put um, right. some of the other artists, current artists, and they're like, oh yeah, he's cool. You know, I, you know, I'm, I, I bet my parents will like him. You know, even though I like him, my parents will like him. So let me show this to them because this will show them that some of the music coming from people of my generation right. is worth something, is is worthwhile. But Anderson makes them move their head a little bit too much because he is a little bit digestible. And they're like, okay, this cat is really tight. You know, I really like this, but he's, you know, he's mm-hmm. not, he's not um, auto-tuning. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what, mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with this cat. So I feel like they're waiting for him to, and no disrespect to Kendrick, but I feel like they're waiting for him to do a damn. You know what I'm saying? They're waiting for him to follow Pimp a Butterfly up with damn. And, and Oxnard, in a way, was a little bit more... Yeah, and Oxnard, yeah, and that's why I like in that direction. Than <laughs> right. be the same, same, yeah. But same. I, to me, and I could be wrong, but I feel like Oxnard is as far as he's going to go in that direction. I don't see him ever doing anything, you know. You know who knows, but I just don't see him doing anything. I hope, I hope so. Yeah. So I feel that they're they're a little bit, they're, the millennials are a little bit thrown by him. But 
I think the hope is who's after them? Generation Z, the little eighth graders right now, the little middle schoolers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the hope, Arthur. You know, that's the hope because mm-hmm. they're not mm-hmm. they're they're fresh. They're they got a blank canvas. So they hear this and this is music to them. This is what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that for Generation Z, this is a this could be a really beautiful thing. Um the the you know to expose them to the complexities of Malibu and Oxnard and, and Venice and so on. I agree. I just believe that they have to see it. You yeah. think they have to experience the concert? I mean, when we were growing up, we somehow through DNA or osmosis just inferred that the that this music was being played with real instruments. Because because that was now, that wasn't that's that's not was an alternative. <laughs> that's well, right. right. That's my point. You know what, Isaac? I'm really glad that you just mentioned Venice when you were listing his albums we should mention that because that was before Malibu and Oxnard and No Worries but ironically it was his kind of most to me anyway it was his most pop mainstream in sound so it's kind of interesting that he's gone away from that if anything and um, Arthur said something very wise a second ago they need to see it you're saying Arthur they need to see it rather than hear it they need to see exactly. him on drums with a band. Exactly. That's your view, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That might be that might be it, you know. And if he right. if he yeah. continues, I mean, and to your point though earlier that um, even the not to not to uh, to diss the hip hop because even the hip hop the quote unquote hip hop producers that he's working with are musicians, you know, um, to a point where they're or bringing, with, a, with certainly a very musical ear, very right. musical sensibility beyond exactly. just drums and a sample. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. All right, I'm done now, Arthur. <laughs> All right, well, then, then we'll tie this off. <laughs> All right. Let's move to the round table. One question, three opinions. This one we're calling the best they never had. What one song by an artist would fit perfectly into another artist's catalog and be one of the best songs that that artist never sang? So who wants to go? Jahan, why don't you go first? Okay, okay. You set okay. us off. So for me, the closing track of Seal's first album, Violet, is the best Sade song that Sade never did. I've always loved Sade. I especially love their first four albums. I think that they had a style of production that wrapped up their instrumentation and specifically Sade Adu's vocals just perfectly. Another UK artist, Seal, recorded a song on his debut album called Violet. And I always thought that it's a perfect Sade song. Sunrise, a man of 
afraid There's no shame So when you take those tears Don't look to see I'm alright I don't think you'd need to change a thing I think you could simply take off Seal's voice and put Sade's voice on and it would be a perfect Sade song. Like, I want to say Seal in that song with Trevor Horn on production did Sade as good as anything else Sade's ever done. But I think the vibe is there, the tone is there, the wistfulness is there, the whimsy is there. It's just perfect. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. It's perfect for that time and that Sade vibe. Which, which, uh, which album? Which Sade? Like, where would, you, where would you slide it? What album would you slide it? I think it would fit with a couple of them, but I think the one that it would fit most perfectly is Love Deluxe. Ah, okay. And that might be because of the year of production, etc., mm-hmm. and the type of drums, etc., that are being used. It was slightly more electric and modern than the style of production that they had on the first two albums, and certainly certainly more modern than the style they had on Stronger Than Pride Mm -hmm. but um, yeah definitely Love Deluxe it's a perfect fit and I'm not saying I want to hear Sade do it because Seal kills it his voice is gorgeous on it Um, perhaps the best I've ever heard him I can't imagine the song by anybody else but Seal or Sade Mm -hmm. but it would be it would be a perfect perfect fit you could just like parachute her the vocalist Sade into the song and it would be perfect and it's still a seal song i mean i can't imagine him not on it but boy Sade, the vocalist would work perfectly on this and it would sound like a track by Sade the band arturius maximus all right so i'm gonna say that the song human behavior by bjork which was mm. released in 1993 on her debut album called debut is one of the best songs that the group Little Dragon has never done. Mm. That's a good fit. The thing about human behavior, I I learned that Bjork, she actually wrote the melody um, as a pre-teenager. And um, she never recorded it with her original band, The Sugar Cubes. Um, and when she had the opportunity to go solo, this is what you know she she led her album with. Dragon, but first, Bjork is from Reykjavik, Iceland, and Little Dragon, um, they're from uh, Gothenburg, Sweden, and hmm. they're they're not the same country so much as to say they occupy similar spaces to me. Um, the track "Human Behavior" is produced by Nelly Hooper, 
who mm. did a lot of work on Soto Soul's debut, purely electronic. It's actually uh, built around a um, Antonio Carlos Hobim sample. Mm. For Little Dragon to do it, they add more layers and they do the low end very well. And I think that it would give you know new life to that to that to that feel to that framework. You know, um, Bjork has probably one of the most uh, original sounding vocals of any artist and for uh yakumi little dragon's vocalist to i'm trying not to use the word interpolate because that sounds like you know she's going to do a cover but it there's a certain congruency to y'all gonna get tired of that word this season it's going to be a certain congruency <laughs> to bjork's vocal fitting yakumi's style it, it really is a beautiful melody and i i just it's to me it's a little dragon song waiting to happen it's a little dragon classic waiting to happen Mm. You know what's interesting is that both you and I chose, that was a beautiful explanation by the way bro, but we almost went the easy route because we chose artists that have a certain simpatico mm-hmm. between each other. To some extent, Sade and Seal, there are some similarities there. He, he's done a lot of material even on his first album that they would never do, but um, like I can't imagine Sade doing Killer or Crazy for example. But certainly Little Dragon and Bjork, they are very, very, um, I mean, I would be, I would be shocked if Bjork wasn't a major influence on Little Dragon. Yeah, I would agree. I totally agree. Uh, I have another pick that Mm -hmm. would be Michelle and Diego Cello's magnum opus. Jesus. (laughs) A police song, The Bed's Too Big Without You. Oh, now listen, perfect that, comfort moment. That, 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 that's it, bro. That's as, the one. As John would say, big tune, big tune, big tune. <laughs> it's on record. That's that's. You should have led with that one. That's that's a dope. Yes, I mean, go ahead. Half yeah, the audience definitely. is finally glad to hear you mention a song that they've heard. Um, I was gonna say, otherwise it's all on Isaac's shoulders. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But like, Sting's baseline, <laughs> Sting's baseline, totally fits Michelle's aesthetic. She could go all day with that. Perfect comfort woman. Just the right amount of reggae in there for that comfort woman vibe. Definitely. Yeah, man, that would fit. Um, all right, here's mine. All This Love by DeBarge is the best Marvin Gaye song that Marvin Gaye never recorded. All right, this track was um, written um, by Elder Barge, produced by Elder Barge and Iris Gordy. Um, it was on their second, on DeBarge's second album. I've always thought, I mean, you know, I've always, this song is, I mean, to me, one of the best ballads of all time. Um, as Again, as John would say, big tune. Massive tune. But Jay told me recently, I think, because I think it was earlier this year, maybe latter part of last year, for some reason, I just was on an All This Love kick. I was listening to this song nonstop for like, I don't know, three or four days. And so I told, I shared it with you guys, and... Then I think a month later, Jay went on an All This Love kick and we started listening to the song back to back to back to back to back. And I guess, I don't know, Jay, if you did some research or if you already knew this, but this song, um, John shared with me that this song was actually written for Marvin, um, for Marvin mm. Gaye. Um, and as I did a little bit more research, um, Elle had written this song. This I think this was on their second album. Their first album didn't do as well as they wanted to. Um, and they, he had written the song hoping that uh, Marvin would record it because I think they were on the same label at the time. Um, but then Marvin left that label. 
Um, but he Ella written it, you know, to kind of coincide with the whole I want you vibe. Um, and you can really hear that at the end mm. of the song when he starts um, uh, riffing a little bit at the end of the song. They really want me, baby. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. This, you know, kind of not to to argue against myself, but I feel like, yeah, this is, I mean, Marvin would this, I mean, this he would have destroyed this song, you know what I'm saying? I mean, destroyed in a positive way. He would have killed this song, um, even even more so, obviously, than L did. But I would hate to take this song out of DeBarge's catalog because, mm-hmm. to me, it is the quintessential DeBarge track, um, and it just it speaks to me about everything that was great about DeBarge. Um, so I would hate to take it away from them, but I, that said, you know, you give this song to Marvin, especially in the "I Want You" era. Um, wow! But you know, Marvin after I, "I Want You," you know, he he wasn't one to necessarily repeat himself, and even when he tried to repeat himself, it didn't really work out too well. Um, so I don't see him after "I Want You" diving right back into this, you know, that type of groove. Um, but if this were a song that was, you know, in his realm or in his in his uh, sphere while he was recording I Want You. Wow. I mean, as beautiful as the song is, I can't, I, you know, it's just, that's next level. Um, but it definitely, when you hear it, you get the Marvin Gaye vibe. And when you find out that it was written for him, okay, now it all makes sense. Definitely. Definitely. Did I win? All right. Did I win? I think Arthur might have won with, with the police joint, but... Well, I mean, I, I can't lose because you cats haven't heard the damn song, <laughs> so that's not fair. <laughs> This has been the Music Snobs Podcast. Uh, We appreciate you joining us. We can be found online at themusicsnobs.com. Our Twitter handle is Total Music Snobs. And you can subscribe not only in iTunes, but everywhere fine podcasts are presented. Spotify. They can find us on Spotify too, right? Oh, yeah. They can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Spotify and on iTunes, do we want people to leave rating, Arthur? We want people to leave ratings, right? Because that helps us, love, that moves, that moves us up, right? I would love okay. ratings, flowers, gifts. Keep the flowers and the gifts. If you, it's, it's this simple. You want more shows? Help us help you. Give us a rating. <laughs> Get us up there. Help us If you want more you. shows, that's what we need. That's what we need. You know Drop. what? If you want the dope 
music podcast <laughs> vibe that you get from us, mm. help us out. Rate us. Mm. Rate us. Rate us on iTunes, please.